Well, good morning. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We are in the very last message of this Gospel. The book of John has been called the Gospel of Belief. John's passion and mission is to share with us why Jesus Christ is who he says he is, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. It's important enough that John validates who Jesus is by the miracles that Christ performed, by the personal encounters that he had, by the truth that he proclaimed, high-definition truth, and uh, by this death, burial, and resurrection. Now, it's chapter 21. We started this journey Christmas Sunday, and now we wrap it up today with the final message in the sub-theme, the mini-theme of Unstoppable Jesus. And so I... Uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed the Gospel of John. Well, and how many of you ever heard the phrase, a come to Jesus meeting? See, I was raised in Dayton, Ohio, for those of you who may not know. I was a northern kid, went to a southern Christian college. Now, if you're a northern kid and you go to a southern Christian college, southern Christian colleges have their own unique language. It's called Christianese. And they, they talk in terms that none of the rest of the real world talks about. And I had heard everybody talk about this come to Jesus meeting. I didn't know if it was a different kind of revival. I didn't know if it was a new different kind of praise and worship service. Come to Jesus meeting just sounded like a good thing until the dean of students looked at me and said, tremble if you don't straighten up, you and I are going to have a come to Jesus meeting. I caught on real quick that a come to Jesus meeting wasn't a good thing, you know. And, uh, and so when we have a come to Jesus meeting, man, those things are tough. They can be awkward. They can get pretty intense. It's kind of like heart-to-heart talk. It's, it's kind of like sharing what's going on and, and you're, when somebody's not living up to their expectations or they're headed in a direction that they shouldn't be going or, or maybe they're just not quite getting with the program. And they say, you know, we're going to have to have a little come to Jesus meeting. Basically, it means that somebody has evaluated you, looked at you, you've stepped outside of what should be expected for you, you're not measuring up, and so someone out of love comes to you and says, listen, what you're doing isn't right. It may not be sin, But it isn't right. Do you know you cannot sin and still not be right? Does that make sense? Man, in my mind at Bible college, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. Till I had to come to Jesus' meeting. I want to talk to you and I want you to, I want to take you through John 21 And just kind of let you follow along Peter's come to Jesus meeting. Again, these come to Jesus meetings, man, they're intense, they're awkward, and man, they're tough. Turn to John chapter 21. Verses 1 through 4 really set up the whole entire entire scene for us. And I just kind of want you to follow along in in that truth here. In John chapter 21... Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now, that's also the Sea of Galilee. Tiberias was the Caesar of the world, and and 
of Rome, and they just named, he had a summer home by the lake, and they named it after him. And so after Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, it happened this way. Simon Peter, that's the guy that denied Jesus three times. That's the guy who said, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, oh, yes, I am. And then Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you're not going to have any part of me. And then Peter stood up and said, well, then you're going to wash all of me. This is the guy who promised that he would never forsake Jesus. This is the guy that denied Jesus three times. Then there's Thomas. Thomas is called uh, the twin, Didymus. And that's what the Greek word Didymus means, is twin. And here's Thomas, and he is just... Just the guy who needed the proof, you know? He just needed to touch the, the nail-scarred hands of the wound at his side. He just needed a little bit of proof, a little bit of encouragement. And so there's Simon and Thomas, Nathaniel, who brought Peter, Ken, Canaan of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples, and they were together. Not all 11. Judas has already hung himself and, and not part of this number now. And, and so not all the 11, but of the majority of the 11... And Peter probably just looked around and said, and I'm going to give you the tremble paraphrase version of the Bible right now. Boys, I don't know what y'all are going to do, but I'm going fishing. Now, I want you to understand that for Peter, this was not recreational fishing. Fishing was his livelihood. Fishing was his job. Fishing, he, he was a fisherman, and he was a man's man at being a fisherman. He was a business owner. He had employees. He had that 5013C, or no, that's nonprofit. He had 401Ks and all that other kind of stuff going. He had all those numbers going down, all right? And Peter knew what it was to go fishing. This isn't a Saturday afternoon. We got our work done. Let's go down to the creek and catch a few. This was a willful decision to go back to what was familiar to him, to what he knew. He went fishing. Oh, by the way, I like fishing. I'm not a good fisherman, but I like fishing, and, and I'm not slamming fish. I'm just saying that, that here's Peter. He had an, I mean, where would you be? If there's a guy that loved you and you loved him, and you saw him walk on water, you saw him feed 5,000, you saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, and then you see him after he has risen from the dead, honestly, would you be in the boat or would you be hanging around Jesus? I mean, really, where would you be? And here are these guys. And this is probably within the first 10 days of, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus isn't with them. They're not with Jesus. And instead of trying to find Jesus, pursue Jesus, follow Jesus, be with I mean, wouldn't you have a boatload of questions to ask Jesus? What was it like to die? Wouldn't that be a great question? What was it like to die? What was it like to live again? What was your first thought? What happened with the grave clothes? How did, the, how, how did they come out and it was just like you were not unraveled? I mean, wouldn't you have questions? But what's it like in the spirit world? I mean, I could, I could literally, I think, spend 10 days asking nothing but questions here. 
And Peter decides, instead of pursuing Jesus, who called him to be a fisher of men, he would go back to what he knew, what was normal to him, like his life had never been changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And instead of being a fisher of men, he would be a fisher of fish. And that was Peter. But Peter's influence made Thomas and James and John and the two other disciples, Nathaniel as well, jump in the boat and go fishing with him. Now again, there's nothing wrong with fishing. I'm not slamming fishing. I'm just simply saying that when Jesus Christ lives in your heart, when he is forgiving you of your sins, when you have tasted of his resurrection power, when you know what it is to walk with him, when you know what it is to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, when you know what it is to have the blessings of God on your life, when you know what it is to walk on water with Christ, Peter, what are you doing back in the boat? But that's where he was. So we got a lot of Peters in our church. We got people who have experienced the resurrection power. You understand the forgiveness of sin. Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sins. And you rejoice in that. And you're happy and content that you're on your way to heaven. But anything beyond forgiveness of sin you want no part of. You just want to go back to your boat. I don't know what your boat is. Your boat may be your business. Your boat may be your family. Your boat may be your dreams or ambitions. Your boat may be your children. I don't know what your boat is. I'm just telling you that with Jesus Christ and there's resurrection power is real in our life. Oh my goodness, don't you think there ought to be a change? Don't you think we ought to leave some of the boats behind and follow Jesus? And here's Pete and his boys. Peter looks at him, I don't know what you guys are going to do. I'm going fishing. By the way, flip it back, just look at verse 4. So they went out, got in the boat, fished all night, and caught nothing. That's an important statement to the whole story. They caught nothing. They caught nothing. I'm telling you, once you experience the fullness of Christ, and I understand we all don't live at that level of fullness. I understand. Just like when I eat Thanksgiving dinner, I am more than full. Amen? Aren't you? We, but we don't all, we don't, we're not all that level of Thanksgiving dinner fullness right now in our bellies. Unless you just wolf down 120 donut holes out there before church. We don't have that level of fullness. We get hungry, we retank, we refuel. I get that, and that's part of the spiritual life. It, you, you, you get this level of fullness, and, and, and then life just kind of empties you out a little bit, and you refill, and, and I understand that ebb and flow, and that's fine. But man, I just want you to know that when you go back to the boat, there's nothing that the boat has that compares what it is to follow Jesus. The problem is most of us are in the boat so long that the boat is the norm and not following Jesus. We're comfortable with just having our sins forgiven. And so there's Peter. And these are expert fishermen. They make their livelihood for the most part fishing. 
And Peter has fished all night. They've worked. They put effort. They have cast their nets. It's not with poles. They're not trolling. They, they cast their nets, say nets. They throw them out, and they go a little bit, and they pull them in. They're about 100 yards from shore. And then in verse 5, look at verse 5. And he called out to them. By the way, verse 4 says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But his disciples did not realize that was Jesus. And they didn't realize it because Jesus probably was dark. It was probably um, early morning dawn. And it was just a little, probably a little hard to see. I'll give the disciples that. And then here's Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? And all the guys in the boats are looking at each other going, how do you know we ain't got no fish? How in the world he know we don't have any fish? Haven't you any fish? Nope. Got nothing. Fished all night and caught nothing. Listen, I want to, I, I want to, and I, well, you don't have anywhere to go for the next few minutes, so just kind of hang on tight. I really feel for folks who start off with a faith in Jesus Christ and their passionate faith diminishes, deteriorates to the point where it is just a dead, lifeless religion of duty. To where there's no joy in following Jesus, but there is just comfort in being in the boat. Where the power of Jesus Christ does not have the effectual transform- transformational power to do amazing things and in their life and through their life and through the influence of their life or your life and my life. And yet instead of passionately embracing Christ and following him, we go back to the boat as if we never met Christ. I'm telling you, the power for living is not in the boat doing what you always did before you met Jesus. The power for effective life is leaving the boat behind and following Jesus and letting him lead you in the paths that he wants you to go. Man, when you do that, you leave dead the dead trappings of religion behind and you follow Jesus Christ in a dynamic relationship, never knowing where it's going to take you. So he says, haven't you caught any fish? Then he tells these guys, cast your net on the other side. Now, I could understand, because I've done this with my father-in-law, fishing for bass and one bait not work. I get that. Try the blue worm, try the cricket, try this worm, try a... That's about all I know, a spinner... Those little jiggy things in the toolbox, you know? Tackle box, not even a toolbox, a tackle box. See, if I go fishing, I need you to go with me. I'm telling you. The deal is, the deal is, I can understand changing the lure on my fishing pole. But if I'm fishing with a net, and I tried this once in North Carolina... When we lived out there on the East Coast, if you're fishing with the net, and we just stand on the floor, show it out, and pull it back. If, if you're fishing with the net, I don't see any difference if the net is on this side of the boat versus this side of the boat. I'm not fishy enough to understand fish theology. But in my mind, if some guy on the shore, some know-it-all guy on the shore 
Hey, boys, have you caught any fish? Well, you know what we'd do? We'd mumble under our breath. No, jerk, I haven't caught any breath. Well, throw your nets on the other side. Does that make any sense? That John looked at Peter and said, hey, Pete, I think that's Jesus. The guys in the boat start talking about, I think it is. The light starts to lift and, 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 and brighten the dawn. And they, they appear and they throw. And, Jesus, and Peter grabs his outer garment and jumps out of the boat and swims and walks to shore. The other guys in the boat grab the nets, reel them in, straighten them out. Get it ready for the toss on the other side. And they threw it on the other side. And there were so many fish. The Bible says 153 large fish. 153 large fish. The impression in the Greek language as their nets were so full of fish that the fish began tugging or pulling at the boat. You ever been fishing with your fishing pole in the little doodad or under a rock by the, by the pond bank and, you know, fish hits it, strikes it, and if you don't have your pole set good enough, whoop, there goes your pole. Here's yeah, 153 big fish, and whoop, here goes the boat. It's almost like Jaws, you know, wumple, wumple, wumple. Here, here goes the boat out to the sea. Well, they start pulling the fish in, and then they, they get, some of them get out, and they start walking the fish to the shore. By the way, let me just kind of say this. If you're in the boat doing what you always did before you met Jesus and you don't let his life-transforming power effectively work in your life daily, you're going to catch nothing of value or importance in life. But if you follow Jesus as simply as casting your net to the other side, oh my goodness, 153. I got kind of fixed on that number, 153, and there are so many bizarre reasons why people think there's 153 fish. The, the place I finally landed on, Jerome, who was an early historian, and he also gave special attention to the church, he wrote that at this time, and we know science has disproven this now, there's a lot more, but at that time, they believed that there was 153 different kinds of fish in the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee. And so the inference is, if you kind of want to stretch it just a little bit, is just as they caught all types of fish in the lake that day, the gospel is for all types of people. It's not limited to just us or those that we know. And Flat Rock is a pretty, pretty homogenous community. And the Down River area is a pretty homogenous community. But the gospel is, folk, is for folks like us, and it's for folks that aren't like us. It's for folks of all colors and races and nations. Christ is for the nations. Well, anyway, that's a great message, but let me get you to Peter's come to Jesus meeting. So Jesus was cooking fish. You can see that. And then he asked for fish. By the way, Jesus is still serving people. 
He's cooking them breakfast. The king of the ages, the conqueror of death, the victor of hell is cooking dinner or breakfast for these men. What a servant's heart. And if you are not serving in some capacity, man, I'm telling you, you're still in the boat. You hadn't quite got it. So they had this come to Jesus meeting. They get out of the boat. This is their third time with Jesus Christ after his resurrection. And then Jesus starts a series of three questions. And he says this. He said, Simon Peter, do you love me? And Simon says, yes, I do. Actually, there's differences in the Greek language. And Jesus would use the word agape, which is self-sacrificing, all committed kind of love. And, and phileo, which was what the word Peter used, was this kind of brotherly love. It's kind of like, hey, I like you. We're good buds. We're fam and, and that kind of thing. Two different levels, two different depths of love. So I said, hey, Simon, Peter, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? He said, yes, I love you. And then he asked him a third time. I was talking about this with Byron yesterday. And uh, we were playing a little, uh, a little golf yesterday afternoon. And I was, we were talking about the, the messages we were, we were playing. And, and he said, yeah, it was kind of a slap in the face for our old Peter, wasn't it? Denied Jesus three times. And now Jesus asked him three times if he, if he loves him. Well, I don't think Jesus was trying to slap him in the face. I just think he was trying to drive home a point. And here's the point. Peter, if you are truly my disciple, I called you to be a fisher of men. I did not call you to be a fisher of fishes. I called you to be a fisher of men. Now, Peter, you're going to decide, are you going to follow me and leave the boat or are you going to leave me or play around with me or play the game of like you're loving me and go back to the boat? Peter, I'm calling you out. I'm asking you for a decision. Peter, there are some issues in your life. The fact is, Peter, I'm not sure if you love me more than you love the boat. I'm not sure if you love the nets more than you love me. So, Peter, we're going to nail this thing down. You feed my sheep. You feed my sheep. Peter, you got one job. I'm calling you out. Here it is. I already told you upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, Peter, you are going to feed my sheep. Get out of the boat. You're not a fisher of fish anymore. You're a fisher of men. Feed my sheep. Now, let me tell you something. Jesus didn't say, hey, Peter, come over here. I want to I talk to you over here. And I don't do that. If I want to talk to people, man, I'll just kind of pull around the corner. Or if I ever ask you to come to my office and say, please shut the door, I'm telling you, you and I are about to have a come to Jesus meeting. But if I just say, hey, can I talk to you around the corner in my not-so-private private office? It just means, hey, I want to share something with you. And, and, and I've tried not to do it in an embarrassing way, but I just kind of want to catch up or ask a question or two. Man, Jesus didn't do none of that. He was just right there in front of everybody, right there in front of Thomas, in front of Nathaniel, in front of the sons of thunder, the other two disciples. He was just right there. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, you're going to follow me. Peter, here's the choice, me or the boats. 
Men are fish. Nets are Holy Spirit. You're living below your expectation. You're not necessarily sinning, Peter, but you're not being all that you could be. I've got something far better for you than boats and nets and fish. I have power and presence and peace that I want to give to you. I've got a purpose in life that you can't even imagine. Son, it will blow you away if I would tell it to you right now. But can you imagine Jesus trying to explain Pentecost to Peter? But he said, listen, your choice is boats or me. See, here's what most of us do. Most of us leave sin behind. And we confess our sins. But that confession of sin never takes us, never leads us anywhere else. Because somewhere you have wrong theology. You think salvation is just this one time kind of punctiliary event. And that when it happens, it's over. And it lives on its own merit. And it has no effect on what happens before you came to Christ. And no effect on what happens after you came to Christ. All of a sudden, you made a decision. You asked Christ to forgive you your sins. You're not really interested in leaving the boat. You're not really interested in following him. You don't mind being a good person. You want to teach your children morality. But you're not. You love the nets and, and, and this following Christ business is, is a little bit uncomfortable for you and so you kind of hang to the nets and, and it's not really, you know, it's, it, and so you hang towards the nets instead of hanging with Christ and so Peter and Jesus had this come to Jesus meeting and said listen there is more to my faith, there is more to the resurrection, there is more to life in Christ than having forgiveness of sin it goes infinitely and eternally beyond that. And so what Jesus would kind of... Oh, by the way, let me, let me just tell one other thing and then I'll come to kind of four concluding points and we'll kind of wrap this up. After Jesus had, had looked at Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Leave the boat. Follow me. Leave the boat. Follow me. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. <laughs> Peter's embarrassed. It's intense. Jesus is calling Peter out in front of everybody. And, and Peter has the gall. He has the audacity to look at the apostle John and says, yeah, but what about that guy? <laughs> yeah, well, what, what's that guy going to do? All right, I'm going to leave the boat, but what's he going to do? I love Jesus' answer, and I want you to understand it, and I want you to look at it. Look at verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's the apostle John. This is the one who leaned back against Jesus at supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Let me give you the tremble paraphrase of that. Peter, it is absolutely, positively, none of your business what this man does. You are to follow me. Amen. I really get a little tired of everybody comparing their life to everybody else. Listen, 
If you were the last Christian on the face of this earth, the call would still be the same. Leave the boat and follow Jesus. And praise him in all of his joy, all of his peace, and all of his power. Forgiveness. So most of us know this forgiveness of sin. Now here's four points to a practical application. Forgiveness of sin leads us to love Jesus. Forgiveness of sin leads us to love Jesus. Most of us want forgiveness of self because we love ourselves and we don't want to go to hell. And we never move beyond loving ourselves and not wanting to go to hell. So we tell Jesus we're sorry for our sins. We believe that he is who he says he is, the son of God, the savior of the world. But do we really love him when it's convenient? Yeah, I'll love him. When it doesn't cost me anything, yeah, I'll love him. When I get to play in my boat, yeah, I'll love him. When it's, when it's what I want to do, yeah, I'll love him. I, I, I just, yeah. And it never goes any farther to loving Jesus. Loving Jesus leads us to obey him. John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will do what I command you to do. If you love me, John 15, Jesus said, high definition truth, keep my commandments. And then obeying Jesus leads us to follow Jesus. It it, it causes us to leave the boat. Leave something that's common for something that's exceptional. And then following Jesus leads us to serve Jesus, serve the church, and serving others. When I left my dean of men's meeting, when I was in Bible college, it was a pretty awkward, intense, and tough come to Jesus meeting. But I think Peter's was incredibly more so. Listen, today, some of you are comfortable in the boat. Jesus says, follow me. Some of you have never moved beyond that forgiveness of sin because you love your boat. You love the nets. You love the smell of the water and the, and the smell of the fish and the thrill of the hunt and all that goes along with whatever your boat is. But Jesus says, I got something far better. He says, you fish in your boat, you're going to catch nothing. Your life will be ineffectual and ineffective. But if you leave the boat, if you follow me, I'll give you a life that's full beyond measure. I'll give you a life that influences others. I'll give you a life that makes a difference for the cause of Christ. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? You know, maybe you're here this morning and you need to have a little come to Jesus meeting. Maybe you've gotten comfortable in just your own boat. And it's normal for you. And it's not that you're basically doing any big bad sins. It's just you're not fully following Christ. When given the choice of going to your boat or following his will, you go to your boat and sidestep his will. 
Maybe you push his will off on somebody else and that's their call, that's their job, that's their responsibility. Jesus said, no, you follow me, you follow me. Matter of fact, Jesus could have that conversation with any one of us today. Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Our Heavenly Father, I think we've got many folks who love their boat.